0: Welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. My guest today is Becoming a Friend. Her name is Sarah Bragg. She hosts Surviving Sarah podcast. She's written a book, the title of which is Body, Beauty, and Boys, The Truth About Girls and How We See Ourselves. Sarah is one of the few people on the planet who talked me into doing something that I don't do. Um, And I'm, I'm still toying with maybe Giving in to her, and that is on her podcast. She asked me about Enneagram and parenting. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm going to answer some questions she has about that, but mostly I want to talk to Sarah about being a three on the Enneagram. So, first of all, Sarah, tell everybody uh, five important things about your life, not necessarily having to do with being a three.
1: Okay, gosh. These are the hard. I don't know if this is just being a three, but those kind of questions always plague me. It's like, where do you see yourself in 5 years? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Um, five important things about my life. Yeah, you know, I think one of them is just, you know, being a kid who was raised in a Christian home. So, I feel like I was afforded a a safe place to discover who God is and what he thinks of me. Um, in a very safe way and so that was an important thing. I think that um, going to, you know, there's been some significant bumps in the road that shaped the next steps and in the moment they were you know, devastating. I mean, even a small, you know, being a high school student and not making the cheerleading squad was like the most devastating thing. But I can see the trajectory that it put me on for the better. Sure. Um, And so I think one of them was going to a Christian college. Um, That was an important thing because it was where I didn't want to go. I really didn't want to be Not that I didn't want to be known as a Christian, but I didn't want to be just a part of that Christian culture per se. Right. Um, Wanted to be a little bit different. Wanted, but then at the end of the day, it was the best choice that I could have made. It was the best thing for me, and which then set me up for getting um, that my first church job was at um, a tiny church called Saddleback Church with Rick Warren out in (laughs) California. And so, and so I think that is, it was a significant moment along my path. It really shaped the way that I saw, um, always had a heart for encouraging people and, um, and inspiring people and, um, leading people. And I think that really just kind of helped shape a lot of how I thought about doing that. Sure. Um, And it put me in California, which I just absolutely loved. Yeah. Loved it. Um, and then I think moving back to Atlanta, which, again, was something I didn't want to do. Um, but meeting my husband, it was a not only it's just, you know, that's a significant thing of, uh, you know, that step in relationships, but there's just a lot of culmination of that, a lot of, I think, change in who I was and what I thought I wanted in a person, mm-hmm. um, which looking back, um, I had a lot of Uh, probably unhealthy threeness involved in that, um, before in dating before that. And so, so meeting him and dating someone who was someone that I was not at all interested in, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. never thought I'd be interested in was a really significant growth point for me. Um, and then gosh, having kids, I'd have to put that up there. That has been (laughs) the biggest, um, challenge probably in my life. And joy, there are, you know, it, it, there's something, especially you in know, my youngest prays a benediction over me every single night when she goes to bed Aww. and it's like the sweet, I mean, she's seven and it's just the sweetest thing. She says the same, same thing every night. But so there's those joyful moments in that of getting to raise, but it's also been the hardest thing for me personally that I've ever done. So, so those are
0: probably five significant things. They're all very significant. You yes. have three kids. Is that right? I have two, two, two okay. girls. Uh, Seven and? And nine. Okay. I want to go back through those five important things now. Okay. And ask you some questions about that. Okay. All right. Um, You talked about being raised in a Christian home and that that was a safe place. Richard Rohr talks about the fact that we, um, we really have to have a safe container to grow up in in order to be able to leave that, to become maybe who we're called to be or who we could be or who we could be for the world. Do you think um, there are specific things about growing up that made it safe for you as a three on the Enneagram? And was there anything that was... um, um, threatening to how you saw the world different from the people around you? Yeah,
1: you know, I think it was safe. I, I've been trying to to look at my parents now, knowing Enneagram things, and I think I'm a lot like my dad. And so I, I keep thinking he's either a three with a two or a two with a three um, wing. And there's something about... Um, just the safety of that of not there wasn't anything that was discouraged in me you know Mm -hmm. you can do this or you can try this or um I watched I watched him especially just you know grow and do things I watched my as far as uh, spirituality, I'd watch them both in the morning with their coffee and their reading and doing different discipl- spiritual disciplines. And I think that just was like, okay, I think this, you know, the, the safety of like, you can, this is what you do. This is a rhythm and that looks enjoyable to sit together and do that kind of thing. And, and so, um, it just, there was a lot of rhythms that they created in my life as a young kid in regards to sp- spirituality that I think rhythm in general just makes things feel safe. Me too. Like, you know, when you know what's coming and this yeah. is just part of your daily life. Um, so so let
0: me let me jump yeah. in right there and ask you this. So as you talk about what I would say is predictability yeah. offering safety to you. When do you think you began to see uh, as a three that beyond predictable, we could do this?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. But because yeah. I know this is in place then it could be all these other things that could be better and bigger and more. Oh,
1: yep. You know, I think that I was a very, um, I don't know if complacent is the right word, as a young child. Uh, my mom always says she described me, I'm the second born. So she, my my older brother was much harder of a, as a kid than I was. And she said, it, bringing me home from the hospital is like bringing home groceries. She's like, it was just so easy. Mm-hmm. Like you were just, I could leave you somewhere on someone's lap and you sit there for the entirety that I was gone. Like you just were in no rush to go anywhere. And so I feel like in my young childhood life, I was very just complacent and not didn't have that same drive. And then I feel like something shifted as even a teenager of uh-huh. uh, becoming, I always laugh and I say, I think I'm a strong willed person, but it didn't develop until after like teenage and into college mm-hmm. and into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like there was something in that, that began for me to go. I, I think a significant moment was, um, I guess I'm jumping around here, but in fourth grade, a girl called me fat. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, it was the first time that I had a I realized that I didn't have a perfect body. Not that I thought I was this perfect person, but uh-huh. I didn't know that there was there could be something different about me than my friend. Right. And so I think something along those lines that started pushing me that kind of set me up to go, OK there's bigger, there's better, there's other things I could be, there's other things I could do. I need to, I want to fit in, but I also want to be different. I don't want to be who I am Mm -hmm. currently. Um, and so I think a lot of those things began to roll in me. And then by the time, you know, I was in my early twenties, like 21 or 22, That's when I just really started, I was like, oh, I have all these ideas and all these dreams and all these things that I can, I can do, like, why not? You know, I have an idea. Sure. I'll just start that. I can do that. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just make
0: that happen. Mm -hmm. And you know how different that is from other numbers, right? See, I don't think I do. I think everybody,
1: (laughs) for me, everybody, doesn't everybody think this way?
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah. Um... First of all, there are people whose orientation to time is the past or the present, yours is the future, and so there are people who aren't even thinking about, let's do something different than this. So it's very interesting to me that the safety that uh, I would refer to as the safe container that you grew up in, uh, that you describe yourself as complacent because that's before you started saying, We could do this and we could do this and we could do this. I um, have some concern about the fact that I think the United States is a three country. And, you know, I live in Dallas, which is a three city. I don't, if you assigned a number to Atlanta, what would it be? Oh, man. If you don't have any idea, it's okay. I don't
1: don't have any. I mean, I would lean a little bit towards a three, but again, maybe that's just because I'm a three and I'm thinking everybody thinks that way. Right, right. Um,
0: So um, one of the things I tell people who are trying to discover their number is that they need to think about when they were 20 and they need to think about how they act at home. And the reason for that is because when we were 20, we actually thought we could do whatever we wanted to do and do it the way we wanted to do it. And when did you start to think, hmm, maybe I can't do all the things that I can think of. Maybe I can't act on all the things that I think would make everything better. Do you know when that came? Or has it come? Are you still? I don't
1: know. I don't know if that's coming. You're pretty young. Right, right. I'm 39. Yeah. Um, And so I do, I still feel like, I have a lot of ideas and, but I don't feel, and, I, and maybe this is just um, me being ignorant about myself, but I don't feel like a lot of them are impossible. Right. Do you know what I mean? I don't know exactly. Um, so, and that, that also may be why my schedule is so full. So
0: that might be part of it. So, you know, Enneagram teaching is um, that aggressive numbers, which are threes, sevens, and eights, think that they can change the world according to how they want it to be. Which is why you don't think the things you want to do are impossible. It's like, I, I can do that. I can do, I can do those things. So I want to move on to the second thing you said, and that was when you talked about going to a Christian college. Where'd you go to college? I went to Lee University in oh, Tennessee. Okay. A Christian college in the South. That's a whole well, different thing.
1: Right. And it was in my hometown, which was another reason why I did not want to go. Oh, I wanted yeah. to I oh. wanted to go out and, you know, be away and figure myself out. Like, let me be me in a whole new world.
0: you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. So you talked about um, that it ended up being a good place for you and that mm-hmm. an, that ended up being where you belonged and a, a good thing for you. How were you good for the people that you encountered there. Like, I always think if God, you know, uh, my mentor for Enneagram work and many other things is Richard Rohr. And he says, either God is in everything or God is in nothing. Mm -hmm. So you're pretty clear on God being in you being in school there for you. Yeah. Uh, What do you think about uh, God putting you there for other people? What were the gifts that you offered?
1: Yeah, I think that that is where my excitement of really encouraging people and teaching people and coming coming alongside people, I think that's where that began to flourish. You know, I grew up in um, a church that serving looked differently, so you you couldn't really serve as like a teenager you know beyond going on like a choir mission trip that was about the extent of it now mm-hmm. once you graduated you could be as they called it a Sunday school teacher for you know like middle school girls and so that that moment getting to start pouring is i feel like that was when i was given the opportunity mm-hmm. to just pour into other people. And I found myself leading all these groups, a group of women, a group of middle school girls. Um, I became chaplain in my sorority, all these things of going, gosh, I just love, like if I could just encourage women and teach women and inspire women and let them know they're not alone, I would do it for free if I could Mm -hmm. like that, just I would do it all day long. So I feel like that was the point where because it was a small Christian school, I was able to not only be known, but to know others mm-hmm. on a easier in an easier way, and so I feel like it really set me up to actually invest in relationships well there
0: for other people. Boy, you are such a three. So let me <laughs> let me throw out a three teaching, and then I, I'd love for you to respond. Okay. So one of the things that I say about threes is that. Really, the reason they want to be noticed and seen as successful and as leaders is because they want you to trust them because they want to lead you. But they don't want to lead other people for their benefit. They want to lead other people for the benefit of the person they're leading. It's like they see potential in you and they see what you could be and if you'll just follow them. They can help you develop that, and it seems like that's kind of what you're talking about.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I, I mean, that has been that is exactly how it is, and I, you know, and I've it's even gotten me I feel like into trouble as an adult because people who are not threes. Um, so I've had someone say I felt like I was like a checklist, like you, like you were just like checking me off a checklist. And I'm like, no, like I was seeing all these things that could be for you and we could do this. And it was like, here, do this, this, and this, and you're going to get there. Like, let right. me help you. Like, I'm always strategizing and always thinking the most efficient way to do this and the fastest way and the best way. And, but to that person who was not a three, they took that as like, oh, you don't, it's not personal. You mm-hmm. don't care for me. You're not loving me the way that I want to be loved. So, but, but that's definitely definitely me
0: well in, in that fascinating that it's the way you love in part yeah it, it is about the other person when a three does that I um I talk a lot about doing things that I wouldn't do because Laura knows that I can as my hmm. assistant and my booking person you know she yep. she'll say oh you need, you need you can do this one you need to do this one and I'll be a little hesitant No, nope, this is the one and I I I think it's that commitment to efficiency and effectiveness that makes it look to other people like threes might be checking things off. Yeah. And I also think it's multitasking. Do you multitask? I do. I do. Always
1: working on. Yeah. There's lots of things going. And the only thing I have found that I can't multitask is if my kids are around, I cannot. I can't function in both. Like I can't, I mean, I could like do dishes, like housework yeah, or, or act like I'm playing Legos, but actually I'm organizing them. I can do those kind of things, but I can't, (laughs) I can't, you know, just like, Oh, let me work on this, like email or this, you know, script or this podcast thing while they're like running around. Yeah, Like there's no multitasking there.
0: Okay, good, good. That's helpful because I know that three's multitask, but I'm not sure that I, I have ever had that little piece. So wow. that that's a great offering.
1: And I think it has to do with the emotional draining that they bring on me.
0: And so, and do you think that has to do with uh your desire to be so successful as a mom?
1: Yes. And that's why parenting is so hard for me cuz there's never you don't ever really feel successful. There's never a way to check something off like I've done that, I made that happen. We move on to a new task. No, it's just like continuation for 18 years is what it feels like, you know. Um, And so it is, it's that hard, like feeling like I'm never like, what's the measuring stick of this or what is, you know, so,
0: so that is hard. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to challenge you a little on the 18 years. I thought it was going to be 18 years too. (laughs) I'm telling you, there's nothing like parenting adult children.
1: Oh my goodness. People keep, I've heard that from maybe one other person. I'm like, don't tell me that. No, but it, but but there's something exciting about maybe at least parenting someone who can hopefully reason at that point. Sure, post 18, <laughs> post 18, yeah.
0: right? Okay, um, you worked uh, at Saddleback. Mm-hmm. How did that support you in transforming threeness, and how did it contribute to your personality? rather than encourage you to outgrow it?
1: Well, I definitely, I'll, I'll speak to the latter first, is that, you know, being on that kind of, we'll just call it a stage, mm-hmm. that really pushed the three further in me mm-hmm. of, you know, I can remember someone saying, you know, where do you want to, what do you want to be doing in five years? I'm like, I want to be writing Bible studies and I want to be speaking. I want to be the Bethmore for a younger generation. Like I want to, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, I mean, I had these ambitions, you know, high and it's going to be a stage and it's going to be, and not, and I still love a stage. And I, that's, <laughs> but I wrestle with that as a three of like, wait, why am I wanting the stage? Am I like, like, what is, you know, that constant inner turmoil of what is my motivation mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. wanting the stage um so i think that it pushed some of that but it also opened my eyes it, it pushed in a good way the dreaming part of it of gosh well if you want to write just write you can do that you you know you fully are capable of doing this sure. and you and so i feel like there's a lot of that that encouraged the great parts of you know i can remember someone speaking and say, no, you are like a dreamer and a creative and a visionary. Whereas I didn't think that before I was like, you know, you just kind of categorize creativity, like it looks this way, not this way. Or, um, and so those things were really, I think, integral and, um, pushing more of my threeness out. And so I, and I think that being on, on the other side, I think that, you know, uh, it was a great place for me to just shaped the way that I really saw other people. Cause I think until that point, I thought church was mostly for church people. Um, and so again, I think that supported my, cause I do have such a strong desire for others, but I think it just started me on this trajectory of seeing other people and what can I do to reach people who aren't just like me or who aren't just like church and, you know, the Saddleback, you know, at that time they were, kind of the catalyst for that seeker-friendly movement and really seeing others, you know, outsiders and bringing them in, not not being such an insider kind of experience. Um, so that was another, I think, milestone for me.
0: Okay, let's talk, you and I, I don't know where this is going to go, so we'll just give it a try. <laughs> but let's talk about the fact that it sounds like um, your podcast and the work that you do are things that you kind of dreamed of doing in a in a way and in a place that you dreamed of doing them. One of the things I've been uh, dealing with lately in my own spiritual journey is that I'm um, I'm doing things I didn't dream of doing. Like my life's dream was not to be a public speaker, not to travel, not to write books. That just wasn't my life dream. And um, I did an exercise where I I just had to come up with something on the spot to start a conversation for a women's retreat. And I said, uh, turn in at your tables and tell everybody what you played as a child. And many of the women there were in my generation, not yours. And so they weren't talking about... um, what they played with, they were talking about the imagination behind their play. And one of the women said to me, what did you play as a child? And my parents had a a moderate library. My dad was a doc and uh, my mom a nurse, and they both read a lot. And I, I played library as a little girl, and I was the librarian, and I was always holding books and handling books. And I don't know if you know in terms of my uh discernment process about uh co authoring The Road Back to You with Ian Cron, but I was really on the fence about whether or not to do that and Joe and I went to dinner uh to PF Chang's and um I opened my fortune cookie and it said, You're a lover of books, you should write a book someday. <laughs> and interestingly enough, that's kinda how the Holy Spirit works with me. Yeah. You know, I have a morning practice that I do every day and all of that, but nothing, nothing definitive ever really comes from that. But a fortune cookie at a time when I'm trying to discern that from me is a, a breadcrumb that I need to follow. Yeah. So I think what I, I want us to talk about is the difference in a two finding herself. Fairly successful at doing something that was not her life dream. Yeah. And a three, finding herself successful at something that was part of her life dream. Yeah. And I think you touched on it when you said that you um, ended up meeting your husband. And he was somebody that you would not have thought that you would end up married to. That he didn't really fit the image of what you had Dream that that would be. Do you think that the ability to know what you want to be a part of comes with the fact that as a 3 your orientation of time is the future? Mm-hmm. Because my orientation of time is the present moment. Yeah. And I just do the next thing. I, yeah. I just do the next thing. So I would kind of have, I kind of have to have people around me who are thinking about the future. Do you have people around you who call you to the present? Yes. So I have, I have two of my closest
1: friends are twos.
0: <laughs> so, oh, there you go. And
1: Yeah. And they love, um, motherhood. They soak it in, you know, they, they love the moments of, you know, being with their kids on, you know, when school is out around here, I feel like our kids are out of school every time I turn around like and I'm like, how am I supposed to get work done? All these people are <laughs> out of school, you know, because um, that's the three in me is going, yeah, you're, you're limiting yeah. me. I can't I can't do what I need to do. Um, And so they're always encouraging me about being present and enjoying Um, the season, enjoying the stage of life, enjoying whether it's summertime and these kids are out for two months, enjoying just being, I'm I'm constantly sitting back and just kind of watching and learning and going, okay, I need, that's what I need to be more of. So today, like even just this week alone, I was like, okay, I'm going to be present with my kids during these hours when they get home from school till this hour like I'm mm-hmm. not gonna think about what I'm what I'm trying to accomplish what I'm working on what I need to do you know I, I mean yesterday I just said I feel like December is already over and it, we're not even in December right. and I was like it's already over like I'm already out into like March you know <laughs> so in my brain sure, um, sure and so it is and so I have those people who I watch and learn and and you know draw me back to what is happening today and being present today and enjoying today for what it is,
0: I don't know if you know my work well enough to know that I often reference books that I think people uh would love to read yep. or would be challenged by and Joe and I um uh, have a a small altar at home it's not a it's not weird it's just a. <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but it's um uh, it's it's good prayer space and we keep reminders and Um, I I like candles there for people that I love and want to keep in mind during the day. um, One of the books that we had on the altar until I just couldn't stand the challenge anymore was a book titled Consolations by David White, W-H-Y-T. And uh, every day is a different word. And then he speaks eloquently to what that means. So I picked it up and, uh, the day the word was uh, maturity. Well, you know what? At sixty-seven, I thought, "Oh, I'm going to get a breather today, because I'm <laughs> I'm surely I'm getting there, yeah. right?" And he proposed that maturity is being able to hold the past and the present and the future all at one time. And I can't do it, but I'm kind of working on it because my for ones and twos and sixes our problem is thinking about the future we're not good at big picture what this is going to look like down the road and uh, between you and I we've not mentioned yet that fours fives and nines have to work with uh, not just being in the past and kind of looking back at what has already happened if you were going to balance or try to balance as I am, past, present, and future. What do you think the biggest challenge would be?
1: Well, I think the, the one big challenge for me, I feel like it depends seasonally for me. And by seasonally, not just, you know, in a year, but just in in years. Mm-hmm. So in in this current season of these young kids, it's remembering to be, present um and not wishing for the future because I, I I can remember when my oldest was one years old I was I couldn't wait till she was five I was like maybe when she's five it's gonna and it's like oh my god like just enjoy the fact that she's one it mm-hmm. is okay and you're gonna work on these things that she's one and so I think it's a, a hard balance and with a three also with the past of for me the things that plague me about the past are things that I feel like I maybe failed on mm-hmm. um you know whether I intentionally, you know, if I I don't ever intentionally hurt someone. So those things like that, I'm like, Oh gosh, well, I know that happened like two years ago. Is she still mad at me? I know she says she's not, but I bet she still is like things like that. Um, and so it's, uh, and so the future is safer for me because I don't, you know, I haven't done anything wrong in the future. I haven't messed up. I haven't, you know, I can be, who I've created my head to be in the future, it's a great place, you know? And so I think that that's what's hard is um, really, you know, and I tend to, I I think the present is probably the hardest thing to balance and just to go because I've always said contentment is a hard thing for me. And so Mm -hmm. I think that goes hand in hand with um, being able to enjoy where I am and what I'm doing and what season of life I'm in um, rather than, pushing forward so much the past. And I feel like there's parts of the past that I need to, I, I, like just this week, I was like, I need to remember the good things about the way that I was raised or the good things about um, different uh, parts of people that may frustrate me at different moments. True. Sure. What are the, remember the good things that they have done and the things like that so that you can, so it helps me to not just like push past. No, I'm not going to give that time. No. So I feel like for me, bringing up remembering the good letting go of the failures and because I tend to just like it's out of mind out of sight out of mind I've moved on really quickly so I don't know those are those are the ways I feel like the challenge is really is just slowing down and and resting a little bit um in remembering
0: I'm so glad you connected resting and remembering because I think most threes are trying to rest but they don't know what to do in resting time for sure. <laughs> it's like, why would I, why would I rest? Right. I, I don't know what to do. It feels like a total waste of time. And I feel like I get in trouble. Like if someone were to walk in the
1: house and I'm sitting down, I'm like, so, they're going to be like, man, she's so
0: lazy. And I'm like,
1: I know I've just been sitting here five minutes. Right. I promise.
0: Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So I, uh, I've kind of had a thing about Candy Crush I, and you know, I'm, I'm terrible <laughs> at it, I'm but, um, I've been playing Candy Crush and I say always, I had it on my phone a long time ago. I took it off at when I started spending money, you know, just. Right. So then I took it off, but then I've been traveling so much this last year. I put it back on for airplanes.
1: Are we going to have an intervention today? Well, we could.
0: I have been—I was working all morning. I mean, like I've been busy this morning since 6.15. I've been working all morning. And Joel walked in the house, and I sure was sitting in a chair playing Candy Crush. And I said, I'm just playing one game. Like I, I've only played one time. I just had just a minute, and I just wanted right. to do that. And so I wonder across all the numbers, I wonder how we find permission To just waste a little time. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think the same way you do about wasting time. When I'm wasting time, I think I should be helping somebody. Right. And um, so I think what I'm learning in terms of that whole season and rhythm of life that you're talking about is that maybe good work to do would be for uh, us in Enneagram discussions to talk about how how do we uh, embrace, not just tip our hat to, the things that are foreign to us in our number, yeah, like well, I, like rest.
1: I, I I think that um, I just want, something I've been really wrestling with in the last few weeks is just this the idea of being okay with ordinary. Uh-huh. That I think I'm constantly pushing for extraordinary in that. If it's not extraordinary for me, then it's not enough. Now I can look at other people and go, Oh, your ordinary is totally enough. Like it is you don't need to be extraordinary. But for me, there's a whole other level of like the bar has been set so much higher. And so because of that, of going, okay, I need to what what is my ordinary? What is the ordinary parts of my life? And how can I just kind of be in that and be faithful in those things and somehow find a sense of success or enjoyment and I think that's even with where the rest comes into like is it okay just to like sit and you know binge watch something on Netflix during right. the day for heaven's sake like it's 11 o'clock in the morning is that okay right. um, but it, but it's going just accepting the ordinary life as it is and being okay with that
0: I um, think that will be a challenge for you always as a three yes. I think yes. uh, b- because ordinary could be great and time is easily wasted, and uh, from a three perspective. And yes. why would I do that? Why would yes. I do that? Yes, it's very hard. Okay, well, all things are hard. I have a couple of uh, questions for you. One of them, <laughs> I think, is really hard, but one—oh no—maybe not so much. So the not so hard one is: uh, What do you wish people knew about your number? Oh
1: gosh. After doing the initial enneagram work, I was was, my husband even was like, "This is you're the worst number," and he would laugh at me. And I was like, "I know, (laughs) we are the worst," (laughs) because he's so proud of being a five. He's so proud of it. And I was like, "Listen, don't let me call sin on you. Yeah, your pride. Yeah, yeah." Um, But but I think I want people to know that we truly do want. I think everyone to look good. Now, I still want to look good. I still want to be nice and shiny and everybody see me. But I re- we really do have a heart to make things better, um, make you better, make your situation better, make your life better, make the world better. And so I think that as, um, as unhealthy as we can be at times and things like that, I think at the heart, we really just have this sense of discontentment that can push us to make things better. And to make ourselves better, to make others better, to make our world better. Um, and so I think that's a great thing that I would want people to know. That it's not just about being the shiniest object on the stage. Sure. But, yeah.
0: Do you think that you have any advice for me about uh, how I might teach threes in a way where threes don't feel like they're the worst number? You know, I have worked more on my teaching notes for threes than probably all the other numbers combined. Mm-hmm. I am often uh, told that that number sounds like the worst. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I don't know. You know, I've, I've carefully gone through my notes to make sure that I have the same number of positive and negative things as I have in other numbers and all of all that. Right. So my question is... Uh, twofold. How much do you think is in how you hear as opposed to what I say? And the second is, what do you think would help me teach in a way where threes wouldn't hear it as the worst?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely something to the way that we're going to take something. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's, you know, you could say something totally positive about it but if we already feel that sense of like oh you just pointed out something that I don't really like about myself I'm gonna take it as a negative even though maybe it's some sense of a positive I think maybe with threes <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's one of those like, compliment sandwiches you know hear people talk about Mm -hmm. you gotta like and I don't know if you have to play into that more with a three where you gotta talk about these great things of who you are and now here's some like constructive help for you and then here's another great thing Mm -hmm. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's if that's possible with it Um, but I do think it's you know there's just so much that I think threes just internally wrestle so much because we are trying to achieve and we are trying to look good while doing it. We're trying to do all these things. Um, there's just this this tension that I know that I wrestle with of like, how much am I doing? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the right motivation? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think just knowing that, that there's this great tension of feeling, you know, you already know those things about yourself. And so highlighting maybe more I don't know. Maybe other numbers want to hear all the positive things, too, but um, all the time. But I think there's just something about, I don't know, playing to our already sense of that, uh, wanting to be known and look good and all uh, of that. Right. Yeah. Playing that up
0: maybe a little bit. Yeah. Just- um, do you think that there is any um, any way for me to describe deceit? and self-deceit in a way that would be easier for you to hear so you know i talk about deceit in terms of that you deceive yourself into believing that you are the image that you have crafted Mm -hmm. um you know i find myself saying to people for goodness sakes I, i give to get something back sometimes that's pretty bad (laughs) you know it's like there's no purity in in that right but somehow that deceit thing seems to be difficult for most threes is it for you
1: it is I think and I think at first when I first started reading about the deceit I kept thinking well I'm not trying to deceive others and then it was it's like no you are trying to deceive yourself Uh and that uh but that word deceit we don't ever think of that in the context of deceiving yourself right Um, but that is exactly what it is of of thinking I am only as good as what I do and if I stop doing this then what good am I anymore so that that is self yeah that's deceit for myself yeah um and so and I think maybe that feels even harder than you know you doing something to to get something back in that it feels a very much like an identity thing of and because I, I know for me and my own like spiritual growth, you know, one of the, when I was in my early 20s, of just finally going, I am accepted and chosen and loved by God, not based on anything I can do, not based on anything I've ever done, and just going, This is I, because I am His creation, because I am. Um, you know, a, a Christian, all these things. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. And understanding that identity was a big shift for how I viewed myself. And I think that was a really a, a growth step for me. And so maybe that self-deceit just feels so hard because it is such an identity. It's, it's tangled up in that.
0: I have a lot of listeners who uh, have left the church um, uh, cause they've been hurt by the church, uh, young ones, especially, mm-hmm. um, how could you talk about, uh, deceit and self-deceit and how one might work with that outside of Christian context?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, and I don't know if this is still just totally, I don't think it's totally Christian, but I think because you are a created human being, right. you are you live and you breathe. Um, you have you have value apart from anything external because of that. Because you are this created being, and so there's something about shifting. You know, I think um, outside of the Christian words of you know chosen and holy and loved by God. But, you know, the, all the Colossians what it talks about, and just going down to you. You have value because you were created. Mm-hmm. Um, because you are unique because you look the way you like all the things that make you up Mm -hmm. that gives you, there's just value in you because you are living and breathing. Um, and so, you know, we tend to think that all of, as a three, all of our value comes from what we do. And so, you know, all this, but instead we have this intrinsic value because we are created. Right. And I don't, you know, it's still a little bit, you know, if they have issue with, whether they are created being or not.
0: Yeah. Um, but still, that's yeah. really good language. That, that, that whole understanding of how valuable we are as we are. Right. Is, right. is really good language. Okay. Um, how about this? Uh, and you've already done a pretty good job with this without my asking, but I want to <laughs> see if you have anything to add to it. Okay. Uh, what would you say is the difference in you before you knew the Enneagram and after? knowing the Enneagram, in the sense of how has it been helpful?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it it gave handlebars, I feel like, to myself. Um, So I I can remember when when my husband started, when he finally came around to looking into this with me, um, and he said, I feel like I finally can understand who you are. Like Mm -hmm. the crazy that I think that you are, I have a, I have the handlebars to it and I understand a little bit more. And so I think that it brought a whole lot of, um, understanding that not all people think this way. I really have a hard time believing that not all people just like, stress about the way they look. Like I, I watch people on Instagram, on Insta, Insta story or Instagram, and, they, and they're they not wearing makeup and they're right. talking. And I'm like, how are they doing that? Like, right. how are they just letting themselves be exactly as they are without, you know, putting their best foot forward? Um, you know, I, I don't like wearing, you know, workout pants everywhere. I'm like, no, I, I want to get dressed. I want to get presentable. I want to, you know, and sure. so I think all of knowing the Enneagram has brought a lot of just. Um, Handlebar, so that I'm going. Ah, oh, this is why I approach things this way. Um, it's given me a lot of uh, grace for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think for my husband being a five, um, knowing that he wakes up every day with a limited amount of time, right, right? It's helped. It's it's helped me to go. Okay, it it's not good to plan an entire weekend of social activities. Like he won't. He won't. Can't, it won't be can't do it. We won't have the best of him. It, it's not great to make him go to the PTA meeting. Right, just not great. Like things like that, and going rather than being frustrated that, like, why won't you just like? Can't we just have people over every night of the week, or can't we? Yeah. Do whatever. It's going. oh okay. Like this is how he's wired. Sure, this is good. Like we can. This if I lean into that, we're going to have a much smoother ride. Or he's, you know, he's an entrepreneur, and so he has all these ideas, and he would go down the line for months, you know, researching something and then he'd be like, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, but that's, but that's what fives do. And so it makes so much sense to me now. So I feel like it's just really been helpful in um, not only how I view myself, but how I've been able to view other people.
0: Yeah. Well, I loved it when I got the opportunity to be on your podcast.
1: Yes, me too.
0: I loved having you on mine. Um, I like surviving Sarah a lot. I, I uh, think that the greatest hospitality we have to offer one another is our stories. And so our stories of survival are uh, of particular value, I think. Yes. And yes. that is, for anybody who doesn't know about you yet, what your podcast is all about. So will you come back and do another one with me sometime? Anytime, I will be there. I'm so glad because I would love it. Thank you for today. And let me just tip my hat to um, your ability to make it through this hour uh, without excusing your threeness. You know, you just really (laughs) walked right into it and lived into it. And that's what's most helpful to people who are trying to understand themselves. Thank you. Thank you. You're just, you're, you're one of those real close to the top of my list. I hope uh, the holidays are blessed and uh, you take care of yourself.
1: Thank you. This has been, I have been so excited about this because I just, I just like you so much. Oh, thanks. Let's so. do it again.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. I hope you'll join me in Edmond, Oklahoma on February 23rd and 24th for a Know Your Number conference. You can get more information at lifeinthetrinityministry.com about registration and about the event. It's a good opportunity for you to bring a friend to a Know Your Number workshop because it's changed your life and you want to offer it to them. And it's a great way for you to come listen for the number you go to in stress and the number you go to in security. Hope I see you there.
1: The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.